Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. I'm your host, Joe Schunkweiler, a physician and former health tech executive now supporting startups and investors at Amazon Web Services. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Venki Sandrarajan. Dr. Sandrarajan is the co-founder and chief scientific officer of Inference, a company turning the unstructured data captured in electronic medical records into solutions that enable scientists to discover and develop the next generation of personalized diagnostics and treatments. Dr. Sandrarajan shares his insights on why asking tough questions and trying to solve big problems is so important in startups and in biology how to identify which focus areas will have the greatest impact in healthcare, and when to work with partners to accelerate progress. Enjoy. Dr. Venki Sandarajan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. You are the the co-founder and chief scientific officer at Inference. Can you you tell me a bit about Inference and what you all do? Sure. Inference was co-founded in 2013, and uh, the company has invested Uh, the last nearly a decade in making biological and medical knowledge computable. So what we mean by making knowledge computable is essentially teaching machines, which are still in their infancy, um, how to interpret and how to connect the dots between different types of data, whether it is ECG waveforms or genomic data or images or the notes that physicians write to describe patients to, uh, to each other. And all of this knowledge is exponentially growing um, and is becoming increasingly siloed and increasingly specialized. So our responsibility to society and to future generations is to create a venture that essentially can make all of this knowledge accessible and uh, hopefully impact individual patients' lives. That is a huge undertaking um, and you know, fantastic thing, a worthy task, let's put it that way. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, what about your own background that led you to, to tackle such a, such a major and, and growing challenge as you alluded to? Thanks, Joe. Yeah, it, absolutely. We are boiling the ocean. And um, I think uh, rightfully so, because the knowledge in biology and medicine is, uh, is incredible. It's simply incredible. And the knowledge that we do not yet have there is a need to invest in creation, creating that knowledge. Um, so it's, it's ever growing and it's, uh, it's uh, nearly infinite. My background is, uh, I started out as an electrical engineer and I discovered uh, pretty soon that uh, my, my passion lay with, uh, with impacting p- uh, patients' lives positively because I saw a medical instrument that I had designed be actually put to use. Um, and seeing that impact on patient life made me uh, want to pursue this field, even though as an engineer, I was not exposed to biology. Um, and of course, when you don't know anything as I was and still continue to be in many ways in this ocean of knowledge, um, you're in, in intensely curious to learn. Um, and so it's that spirit of curiosity and asking questions that led me to MIT. I did my PhD there in biological engineering, was fortunate to work in a very entrepreneurial setting um, and was exposed to engineering of biology. It's called biological engineering worked on infectious diseases. So there was another pandemic in 2009, while my thesis was focused on infectious diseases. And my thesis therefore evolved with the so-called swine flu towards understanding 
uh, of the virus towards understanding its impact on humanity um, and what that means for bird flu, what that means for what we now know as, uh, as SARS-CoV-2, so on and so forth. Um, and that led me, you know, it, it opened up more questions rather than answers. I wanted to understand the structures of these proteins, the genomes of these viruses, how they interface with the immune system. So one thing led to another. I ended up doing a postdoc with George Church, father of uh, synthetic biology and biological engineering, um, and described many crazy ideas with him. And of course, uh, given how magnanimous he is towards, um, towards uh, thinking, uh, you know, in a limitless way, uh, he encouraged those pursuits and uh, told me that I should be doing a company. My co-founder Murli um, and I actually happened to be, you know, he happens to be my maternal uncle, uh, but I was told not to bother him until I did something with my life and I always felt um, that I had not achieved enough. So um, in a very, uh, uh, you know, in a very funny incident, um, when I first met him while I was at MIT, um, I remember him saying that, you know, the math that you're trying to solve, it's all been solved. So you don't have to worry about the math. The math is easy. Uh, what is tough is what doctors do every day. What is tough is what biologists do. That is where the frontier lies. So don't worry about, you know, um, about the, the mathematics and the programming and the computer science. I'll do all of that. So he ended up being my programmer um, and uh, he wrote the code. Uh, you know, he would come back with interesting ideas uh, off of that code. Um, and then slowly, almost all of the ideas that we had, whether it was cell lines and genomes of cell lines or kinases being screened with small molecules or and therefore the chemistry of the small molecules, or then eventually as Ajit, our CTO joined, he is the most cited natural language processing expert in Quora um, and uh, is a giant in the field of natural language processing. Um, we started working with text and of course, all the written knowledge in medicine is in text, um, be it in PubMed or clinical trials or ACC filings or Right. Um, you know, um, different sentiments of, and of course, physician notes. So it's been an incredible journey of learning and reinvesting in, I guess, in learning, which is how Joe, I would describe my transition from academia to entrepreneurship and what we are doing at Enfrance. Sounds like you had a tough, tough audience on the high math, <laughs> on the high level math. Uh, so I, 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 that is a funny story. And I, I definitely appreciate the um, the multiple challenges, you know, across the board um, that you're tackling there. Um, and just to fast forward to your current role as a chief scientific officer, clearly there are multiple scientific avenues off of this, um, bringing together mm -hmm. this data um, in, for analysis that you laid out. How do you think about um, wrangling that? When you think about uh, biomedicine, Joe, um, clearly to your point, there's many different opportunities and need of the art, right? Mayo Clinic uh, has been a foundational partner for inference and in many ways has informed the core science to translation strategy um, because we see the scientific work that we do, the research that we do actually have impact, if not in real time, in near real time. Um, and over the last three and a half years, we worked with um, a spectrum of physicians of different specialties. We actually started in infectious diseases um, and then cancer, rheumatology, neurosciences, cardiovascular disease. And along the way, um, we and Mayo Clinic more importantly realized that Enference is a very special entity wherein we build software and therefore the knowledge of anyone, any one individual data scientist or one individual uh, biologist, uh, the knowledge is captured and codified in software so that others that follow uh, can do the research you know, maybe more easily or do the research more um, in a more adroitful manner. Uh, you know, there is 
indeed a method to the madness. The way we uh, stratify opportunities is driven by impact on patients, which is of course at the heart of everything that we do. Um, and the ability to translate it with partners, be it partners on the academic medical center side like Mayo Clinic, or um, uh, you know, the large biopharmaceutical and increasingly medical device diagnostic companies, they have been really central to informing the prioritization of this ocean of knowledge to software applications, to meaningful ventures. And a case in point that for my role as uh, Chief Scientific Officer of Entrance is really guiding that strategy, right? Uh, informing it with, uh, with good science, with, uh, with creative ideas, and the most important ingredient, which is you know, building the right team, uh, right? That does, uh, that does this translation. And at Entrance, we think of uh, two core responsibilities, right? One is uh, evangelizing the virtues of doing what we call triangulation at scale, which is looking at these different data sets so that our own individual ISs are less relevant or less important or mitigated. And what is more important is, uh, is there concordance between these different silos of knowledge through software? And then as those insights are had, as they are published, as they are peer reviewed, and as they are accepted by the community of biologists and uh, physicians, we create new ventures. So Entrance is a AI powered venture creation engine. We have created Anumana, which is the first chapter of impacting patients individually through ECG based early disease detection. And in a nutshell, that I would say the stratification of opportunities is informed by our partners, such as the Mayo Clinic, uh, and by the need to impact individual patients. So that is the funnel. Just to, to dig in a bit on the medical center side, I want to talk more about life science, biopharma devices, all that, that world as well. But just st sticking with the medical center side, whether it's Mayo or others, Talk me through one of the one of your leading use cases on the medical mm -hmm. center side. And just so I make sure that I'm clear, you go in and break down those silos that exist across disparate areas in a, in a medical center, an academic medical center, let's say, or a, or a, or a large health center. Mm -hmm. And then who comes up with the questions to ask, the patterns mm -hmm. to tease out? Is that at, you know, do you, do you, co-develop that with your customers in that case, sticking with the medical center example right now? Um, or do they have those questions and you help them answer them? Um, like, what is that? Talk me through that relationship. Absolutely. So first and foremost, there are, uh, you know, uh, standard, I would say, pieces of software, which we have created intellectual property around. Um, and one example, one core example is automated de-identification of particularly unstructured information, which as you know, is really, really challenging. Um, so Entrance has the best in-class technology using neural networks for the automated de-identification of physician's notes, which is unstructured text, images, be it radiology, pathology, um, genomes, and such. And also, of course, the structured electronic health record. So that piece of software or softwares uh, essentially is very central to what we do uh, to create a platform or a data behind glass initiative Patient data, even though it's HIPAA compliant, de-identified, does not leave the academic medical center's uh, span of control, right? So the data, even the de-identified data, lives within the academic medical center's cloud infrastructure. I'll give you one other example, which is where, to your point, uh, Joe, the customization of use cases and the questions come from, which is, what do you do with the de-identified mm -hmm. data, right? So, and as you can imagine, there's a plethora of use cases, and again, 
there is a pipeline of a steady pipeline. We have about thousand applications and counting uh, of various user interfaces and APIs that have been built over time uh, to sort of give you breadth of questions that can be asked. The medicine that I'm using on this patient, what is the safety profile of this medicine? So that is not just the brain of all the physicians, say at the Mayo Clinic and their collective experience, which is captured by our software, but also the FDA adverse event reporting system, right? Which is the public um, software, which is supposedly in the public domain, uh, but it's really tough to actually do good statistical inference on. Yet another use case is I have this medicine. What is the label of the medicine say, uh, right? What are the indicated use cases uh, for this medicine? Um, so we have an application where you can easily look at the evolution of the label, the marketing label with the collective, again, collective wisdom of physicians, your peers and others you may not know within your, uh, within the health system and, and understand what patients like the patient that you're uh, working with um, essentially as experienced and what are the outcomes of such experience. So this real world evidence, our software makes it available in real time. So that's the goal, real world evidence in real time. Got it. Now, and, and it sounds like a lot of this is particularly with things like de-identification, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's unlocking the ability to even ask the question. So it sounds like a lot of this is you get to the preparation layer and then it's like, okay, now how do we ask the questions from the data that we've incorporated? And as you said, all these other sources that are out there publicly available, but not easily, not identifiable, but uh, mm-hmm. um, approachable um, usually. Um, yes. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Yes. You must have seen a real evolution of these use cases, even just mm-hmm. at the medical center or provider level where, mm-hmm. you know, were people asking different questions or did you have to like hold their hand through even the ability to ask those questions early on? And now you probably have folks, I'm guessing, who want that, want those, they, they come with the questions and you help them get the answers kind of thing. Is absolutely. that, is that what yeah. you're seeing? Yes, absolutely. And uh, you captured it brilliantly, which is the evolution of biomedical questioning we do find is changing because, you know, uh, Joe, the way it typically happens is a question is asked and IRB is written, that's reviewed, there's processes, there's because of the identifiable data, because of the custodians of such identifiable data being individual PIs, and there's an ocean of acronyms, an ocean of specialized knowledge, which in each silo is different from the other specialty, knowledge becomes inaccessible, right? And this is what other large enterprises have struggled with in the past and have attempted to solve. What is pretty amazing about the world we live in now, right, is that once you de-identify this data in an automated way, you get it certified as de-identified by external uh, biostatisticians. Now, institutional knowledge, to your point, is accessible for the first time. It is not one individual physician's or one executive's perspective on what their institution feels. It is the net summary for any question that you have of what the institution in its entirety, whether it's in Minnesota or Florida or Arizona, or differences between those sites or the extended Mayo Clinic health system, in this case in uh, you know Wisconsin, Iowa, and such. And when the COVID nineteen pandemic came about, Joe, we just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, de-identified notes, lab tests, imaging data, genomic data, uh, which was already all uh, you know, um, for lack of a better word, interpolated in ways in which. We are never looking at an individual patient, but yet the knowledge of the entirety or knowledge of cohorts and the ability to create those cohorts quickly, rapidly, robustly 
it helps us answer questions which are pertinent to individual patients. So that collective knowledge helping individual patients means we are able to put knowledge to work, right? We're able to put institutional knowledge to work. We're able to define institutional knowledge. We make it accessible. And it, um, we felt like the need of the R and the calling um, for public health, right? To inform public health decisions. Um, it was a responsibility to be true partners to our physician colleagues, to our nurse practitioners who were in the front, uh, front lines, right? Like actually dealing with that uncertainty. Um, so to be able to help in our own small way through software, through science, um, and the marriage of both uh, was truly uh, exciting and something that I think will, it's a lesson we'll always look look upon fondly because it, it teaches us to be humble, right? Like this ocean of knowledge is so many, uh, you know, we have our fair share of bugs, right? Like which we have to continue to solve, but it's because of the questions that you alluded to and the evolution right. of those questions that the software becomes smarter. And I would imagine COVID-19 uh increase the desire among those groups, regardless of where they are, to better leverage the data they had at their disposal. Uh, to have, you know, they started to see the silos as a real barrier to answering the questions um, and identifying additional questions to even ask, probably. So, absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah. yes. Because, uh, Joe, to your point, this is a virus. Yes, it's an infectious disease. But if you look at the, like, what the physician specialties that are involved, uh, it doesn't even have to be long COVID, right? Or the post-acute sequelae. Even in an acute infection setting, uh, the manifestation of phenotypes is such um, and the safety of the vaccines, who should get vaccinated first? How do you prioritize boosters? Any question that was asked required multiple physician specialties. And to your point, uh, it really, there was not only a need to break down the barriers, but there was a need to begin to interpret across those barriers. So it almost seemed like a platform such as Enference should have always existed. Um, and there we were. Well, I'm glad you were there as we're, you know, <laughs> we, we continue to, to battle this out. Just to, to go back uh, to this, this question of use cases, how different have you found the biopharma life science interest than the provider segment or have you? Very interesting question for multiple reasons. And uh, uh, Joe, we've been really fortunate from the onset of this company to work with a couple of uh, partners who were prescient in recognizing that data sciences was imperative to drive R&D. With, uh, with the digital revolution, so to speak, and on the electronic health record side, there was this convergence, probably right around the time, Joe, as to when uh, 2020, 2021, as the COVID-19 pandemic uh, was in its zenith, um, that we truly felt the need to pull these streams of thinking together. So take vaccines. Right, so where they were clearly developed by the biopharmaceutical industry and the, whether it's the mRNA vaccines or the adenoviral vector vaccines, it is truly a miracle of science that we have the ability, the opportunity to protect those in the front lines, immunocompromised patients, the elderly, and now increasingly largest swaths of humanity. Um, and working with large biopharmaceutical partners on the one hand um, and understanding the, what constitutes a safe, effective, robust response um, not just to the one variant that's circulating, but to the variants that would come, uh, was riddled with uh, was riddled with questions from the biopharmaceutical side, where a bridge to the patient experience, which, as you know, was all happening in real time, right? The experience of the alpha variant in the United States was very different from the experience of the delta variant, yet there were similarities, right? right? Um, and then with Omicron, again, an extremely different experience, um, yet with some fundamental similarities to both alpha and the delta waves. 
And so from the ancestral wave to alpha to delta to Omicron, and there was a need to continue to inform the biopharmaceutical R&D uh, engine. Uh, and it's not just true of COVID-19 and vaccines. Take cancer patients, right, who postponed their diagnosis um, or, uh, uh, you know, um, or misdiagnosis or misdiagnosis that might happen because of uh, having been exposed to the pathogen in the past or the recent past. Um, and there's phenotypes that obviously intersect with, uh, with different types of uh, chronic illnesses, including cancers, and or um, a patient who has glioblastoma but was only diagnosed on time because they thought they had brain fog, because they thought they have long COVID. So COVID-19 has had a dent on every therapeutic area that the pharmaceutical industry works with. And I believe will continue to, whether it is in the context of this pandemic or it does become a seasonal virus as its predecessors have, um, and you're, you're left with, uh, with, uh, with seasons, some seasons which are more aggressive uh, variants and other seasons that are not, um, you're going to have to talk about prior vaccination. You're going to have to talk about prior exposure to these antigens, prior natural infections. Um, and that's going to have a cluster effect on the way the industry not only discovers and validates those drugs in clinical trials, but even designs the clinical trial protocols, right? Um, or the labels, the marketing labels from a commercial standpoint. Um, so I do not see a divergence anymore of core interests, I would say, between the biopharmaceutical industry and what's happening in the health system. Rather, I see a convergence wherein the patient is truly at the center um, because these silos are less important, because these boundaries and borders between fields of medicine or therapeutic area are not only less relevant, but are actually, to your earlier point, a hassle in, in not only doing good R&D, but evaluating that in the real world. I'm always struck when I hear about really innovative technologies that are powering emerging companies. I'm, I'm struck wondering why now? Like what about the technology technological moment powers this? And I'd be curious to hear for inference and from your perspective, like what is the technology technological convergence right now that, that makes inference possible as a company? This is one of my favorite questions, Joe, because I do believe that there is a black swan event in some ways that's happening uh, because partly of the pandemic, right? And we've touched a bit upon the breakdown of the medical silos. Let me describe, at least touch upon two aspects of the technology that, or three aspects of the technology that I think are coming together in, to make this possible. Um, one on the molecular front, uh, which you know is my origins in some ways, my early experiments with trying to understand biology. Take any organism in history, right? How much of genome sequences have you had? Human genomes, a couple of thousands, hundred thousand uh, human genomes, maybe a million if you were to account for um, you know, partial sequences that we have had. No other organism, uh, complex organism have we sequenced that much. And then along comes this virus and you have more viral genome sequencing data of SARS-CoV-2 than any organism in the history of humanity. Uh, it eclipses flu in sequencing. And now with Omicron, you're on to, when you take Gizade as an example of a database, you're already on to 7 million sequences and counting, 7 million sequences of a species. Um, and so technology, genome sequencing technology, combined with the ability to interpret those genomes has made uh, us one step closer to understanding the puzzle that Darwin saw uh, on Galapagos Island, seeing speciation, looking at the evolution of species, theorizing what that might mean, we have an opportunity, we have a responsibility 
to actually understand evolution, be it molecular or the evolution of new species. To me, that is incredible. And it's a, it's a ode to what we were able to do um, because of genome sequencing technology. Now, that per se is almost useless if you did not have the cloud. So when I think about what we are doing even right now, right? Like almost all the research that we did happened through Zoom meetings, happened on uh, high-performance computing clusters, happened on uh, you know, Amazon, Google, uh, Azure, uh, cloud, and the ability to store massive amounts of data, compute on that data. And it's been told, I'm obviously neither going to be the first nor the last to talk about the monumental amount of technological infrastructure that goes into um, you know, one click of a button that we do and the ability to do research at this pace um, and this depth and quality would simply not be possible without the cloud. Um, so there's that. And then the third piece, which is the ability to infer. Machines are still in their infancy. I uh, look upon, uh, you know, some of my peers from the tech world talk about how machines will whatever one day take over the world. And here I am, uh, you know, is IDO a gene? Is IDO a surname? Is it an Israeli surname, a Japanese name? Is it is it a gene? Simple things like abbreviations, entity recognition, context around that entity is so important and tough yet for machines to understand. We are a long, long way from artificial general intelligence. We have nothing to worry. The only <laughs> thing we have to worry about is, uh, is our own uh, either ignorance, right? Or um, I think of as lethargy, right? Or right. worse, uh, complacency, complacency, right? Where if it's, oh yeah, this pandemic is over. We have nothing to worry about uh, yeah. anymore, right? We live in, the, in an absolutely new normal where what we are left with is, is the marvel of sequencing technology on the molecular front. And then you have the uh, incredible power of the cloud and you have these absolutely amazing neural networks, which come in various shapes and forms, but whether it's in imaging or now in genomes, uh, in text, uh, there have been multiple renaissances, right? Periods of renaissance in each of these eras and ca capturing all of that into software through the cloud, I think is... Uh, Remains to be done, but Joe, that's the future, right? And so it's a very exciting future. So we don't have to we don't have to raise the alarm on the the robot overlords quite yet. <laughs> Not at all. No, no Terminator universe coming for us. Absolutely okay, good. Yeah. I, I feel better. I feel better for one. Venki, <laughs> uh, just in in wrapping this up, one of the things I love to get from guests is given your unique background, uh, your deep scientific experience. Um, you must get approached by people looking to break into the startup world, particularly, I know personally, the fertile environment in and around MIT um, for, for company creation. What, are you, what advice do you give to others with a similar scientific background looking to, to make that jump? You know, uh, one of my professors at uh, MIT um, made this remark that biomedicine is a difficult area for entrepreneurs to succeed because you're faced with failures, right? You're faced with failures constantly. You're faced with complexity. You're faced with uh, vast gaps of knowledge where sometimes when a colleague speaks, it sounds like an alien language because we don't understand 90% of the <laughs> barring common English words. We do not understand what those abbreviations or context mean. So it's really, um, uh, you know, it, it takes enormous amount of resilience and grit because you will be faced with failures. And in some ways, it's because of those failures, it's because of that resilience that you will see yourself uh, create your next chapter. I think if you have intense curiosity, you want to learn at the fringes of your knowledge, what each of us know is a tiny, tiny atom in the ocean of knowledge that is already out there. Um, so as long as you're curious and you continue to learn, 
Um, uh, that's one ingredient. And then the second thing is building, right? So when you learn either yourself or through your partners, you have to find someone who is ready to translate your learning into something that's a meaningful uh, product or a meaningful vehicle for that knowledge. In, in my case, it was my uncle, it was Murli, it was, he was already a successful entrepreneur, it was software. You need that counterpart, right? You need someone who um, can partner with you. And then uh, it cannot be one or two, gone are the days when maybe two people in a garage could write some code that changes how all of us access knowledge uh, through search. Um, what you are faced with in biomedicine is the need to assimilate into the ecosystem of partners. So when I look at the ecosystem of partners, large tech companies are great partners, particularly if you want to leverage the cloud, particularly if you want to leverage the vast oceans of knowledge that are already out there. Um, and be it biopharmaceutical or medical device partners, there are fantastic prescient R&D heads. I think if you find the right partners, and it's, it's easier said than done, right? But if you find the right partner to do your entrepreneurial experiment with, you continue to be curious, you continue to not take failures as a negative, but rather as a learning experiment. Um, and you find the right external partners who believe in you, who uh, enjoy the way you think and believe that the ideas that you have and the work that you do will meaningfully impact patients, then I think good things will happen. And then of course, you know, time is both your friend and your enemy. So in, in particularly, I think in biomedicine more than anywhere else, we all have limited time. So how we do what we do while balancing um, the quality of life that we are supposed to enjoy through the academic experience, through the training, that long periods of training that we all go through, how not to get burnt out and how to keep that spirit of, of curiosity that got you into medicine or into biology in the first place alive while you chase that entrepreneurial journey is, uh, is important. And uh, you know, uh, I'm here, Murli, my partner, we're always looking to talk to entrepreneurs um, and we believe that it's, it's better to have tried and failed than not to have tried. So keep trying and you know, good things will happen. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Joe. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com slash startups. <laughs>